Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Obehi. Um, Usnakachi Akumakalo, Igbo by birth, and I'm joining from uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Hello, and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now, let's get started with this episode. I studied philosophy and uh, studied philosophy and I've been um, an advocate of uh, transdisciplinary approach in understanding the reality of uh, the human person. So uh, I think that a single-based approach will make it difficult for us to understand the relationship between um, life and other things that there is in human existence. So as a result, I started talking about um, a transdisciplinary approach. But when you look at the evolution of the human person, you see how reality is moving towards singularity. So as a result, I started talking about um, singularity. And we have that better of explain in the fourth industrial revolution. And um, but for me, uh, when you look at my background in philosophy, you will see that I majored in theorism. So I believe that life, as the Schubert said, is conducted, directed, and controlled by fear. So it becomes a meeting point for me to take off in uh, advocating for transitionary approach in understanding reality all right now let's take one step back because here we really uh, deep down into the person that we are talking with so at least we know you personally and also maybe uh some of the things responsible for why you do what you do in your childhood where were you born and what were the uh, reality around you that sort of form your identity who you are in relation to what you do you set me with that okay um <laughs> uh, I'm born, uh, I'm from uh, Isu um, town, to be precise, Abisu village in Aruchku, local government of Abia state. And of course, I was born into the family of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Philip um, K. Akuma, and my dad, a farmer, my mom. Um, primary school teacher then. So my village is uh, remote and obscure. And up to now, we don't have a borehole there, pipe on water. We don't have electricity came to my place in 2012, to be precise. Um, when you look at this, uh, you will see how twice removed from reality the place is. So. Um, Every, virtually, virtually everybody there lives below average as a result of everyone focusing on subsistence agriculture. There's no, no sense of mechanized agriculture or anything related to that. So when I started, I, I did my primary school there and I did my secondary school at the um, St. Anthony's or Havia. But then when I was growing, I wanted to be um, a medical doctor. From there, I changed because of the injustice of the human person, man's inhumanity to man. I said, okay, I want to be a lawyer. So because of the jam procedures in Nigeria and everything, I wasn't opportune to gain admission to study law. Then I switched over to studying business administration and management at Federal Polytechnic Nekede, Oweri. So after studying business admin, I started working with, uh, I got a job with First Bank, but it didn't give me that fulfillment because um, this curious type. And of course, we know that consciousness is not consciousness of nothing but something. So 
So after resignation, I started teaching. I started teaching um, um, people in secondary school. And then I was teaching economics. And I realized that well, there was something lacking. There was something lacking in our society, the construct at which people translate their reality. And the, 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 how people define reality determines how they translate their reality. And this definition of reality is a product of their immediate environment. You see that the perception of people about their environment determines how far they will go. And this took me back to why my society, I mean, my village, my town is the way it is. And I said, this might not be only my town. It might be happening could be something that is affecting the human person. So I started making research and all that. I found myself studying philosophy. So I have my BA and BE in philosophy. And after um, reading the works of so many philosophers, I came down to contemporary philosophers. So studying them helps me also to relate back to my home. Because when you look at my society, it is characterized. We have boundaries with the uh, cross variance, and we have boundaries. Everyone looked down on this small community, and there's always dispute at a boundary or crisis and all that. And I said, if we understand our society better, we can, we can create a better society that is devoid of unhealthy crisis because the most important thing in life it is is the protection of life and property which is you know life is the chief value and we must learn how to preserve it no matter no matter how your society is the best thing you can do for it is to think of and figure out a way of transforming and making it better not just for you, but others and the next generation. So this is a little bit about my background and what, how it influenced um, my chain of thought and what I'm doing today. What is the basis of your philosophy? I mean, what do you base your study of it on? Is it a kind of a general philosophy or do you have any specification, your area of study? Help me understand that. So um, I... I did general philosophy, which is the main thing that I have to do to understand reality from perspectives, especially Oriental Western. And I also studied African philosophy, but where I majored was on theorism. So, but then in translating what I've learned, I realized that there is an immediate problem, which made me to focus more on African philosophy because even my organization, their major goal is to build the gateway in and out of Africa and to change the narrative, the perception of the West and the, the East about Africa. You know, when you call someone, you want to have a business with someone outside from Africa, there is always the perception they have about Africa. And that narrative is what I have devoted. I'm dedicating my life to change. So you, you can feel free uh, to, we can feel free to discuss about African philosophy, the question of identity, perception, and uh, how people label Africa. All right. Now, let's look at African philosophy. What does it even mean, African philosophy? Help me, uh, give me the background of it. Okay. African philosophy discusses the question of Africa identity, according to Professor Onyocha, and he is my mentor. So Izumasa Onyocha is an African philosopher and a metaphysician to start with, and uh, he is a Nigerian. So when you talk about African philosophy, let's talk about philosophy, understanding reality, and it means trying to understand the reality of the African person. 
and Africa. So, you know, before the Berlin Conference, Africa wasn't partitioned. So there are things, there are factors that are, are beyond religion, beyond the, 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 the Western religion of Islam and all that. There are things the African person share in common. So these are the, the realities of the realities of the African person. So when you talk about African philosophy, you talk about the question of identity, understanding the reality and the perception of the African person. Okay, uh, now, uh, in 2022, the question of identity is something that is uh, very important for a lot of Africans, whether you are at home in Africa, I mean, Africans in Africa, and also Africans in the diaspora. Of course, to those in the diaspora, it's even more challenging. But in overall, it's something that is very important. So when you say African identity, looking at it from the point of view of philosophy, what are we talking about actually? Sorry. So the question of identity talks about a lot of things. It talks about how we evolve as a person. Those things that we, we experienced, those things that, that um, makes us African, you know, uh, we talk about our skin color. Our skin color is our identity, and it is uh, the single uh, we call it um, the, the, the royal mahogany, call it the king color because it adapts in every environment. There's nothing like tanging the African color, there's nothing like uh, trying to stay where it won't pop, and all that. And we have our um, our culture. We have our belief system. Uh, we have all that. You know, most people. It's becoming funny enough that when people travel outside Africa, they want to change their accent, the way they speak. This is one of the things that I I don't do. When I I, I don't I don't want to sound um, American. I don't want to sound British. I want to, when you when listen to me, you know that this person is an Igbo person. So I speak, it becomes my identity. Because when an Indian speaks, you understand that this person is an Indian. They don't tend to fine tune their accent. They don't tend to be what they are not. So we um, Africans also yeah, uh, suffered colonialism. It becomes part of them because you cannot deny the impact of imperialism. You can't deny the, the impact of two policies that affected Africa, assimilation and association. So you see all these things that become, when you look at them, you see how not just it exhales the African identity, but how it also affects the African identity. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you a question relating to a fearism. Uh, I think that is where you majored in philosophy. If you can give us a background on, on that, because then I'm going to be asking you some questions also relating uh, to Africa and maybe as Africa as you, as you currently understand it today so that you can give us some, some understanding in relating to why, for example, somebody coming from Nigeria, he goes to uh, to the to the international community and he pretend to to speak like the British or like the Americans instead of speaking in, like in Nigeria, or if you want to say speaking like an Hausa or speaking like an Igbo uh, or speaking as a Yoruba. Why? Because in other part of the world, that is how it is done. But in the case of Africa, we are awful time. Let me use your old term now pretending to be who we are not um so and this is very problematic but before we get here help me understand this area you major in what does it mean and why did you uh, choose this part what, what what why is it important for you that area of of your specialization in philosophy okay um so i'll start by defining what fearism is and um I will tell you where I also measured when it comes to fearism. Fearism is huge. So fearism has to do with the 
the study of the relationship between fear and life over um, in human history, there've not been uh, proper attention given to the study of this reality as such. So uh, before then, um, people have talked about biologists, uh, psychologists, and, uh, uh, and let me say physiologists, they have said that fear is a negative emotion. But then coming down to the 20th century, um, the Shuba, the, the propounder of fearism, is still a living philosopher, and Michael Fisher, the Shuba is from Daran, Nepal, and Michael Fisher um, is from Canada. Um, the Shuba runs the Fearism Study Center, Daran, Nepal, but currently he's a visiting professor at University of Hong Kong, and we have um, um, Michael Fisher, who is an adjunct professor at University of Calgary, Canada, and also runs the Fearology Institute, Canada. So they started talking about this reality. And when I came across this discipline, I tried to understand because I have been writing and researching about fear uh, for over 10 years now. But I didn't get this perspective the way they defined it. But when I met them, I realized that there have been something missing. There have been a list, uh, um, there, there have been missing links. Now, to start with, the relationship between fear and life. Life is conducted, directed, and controlled by fear. Meaning that fear is a beautiful consciousness and not a negative emotion. And I will explain that because that's been um, argued over time. So now, in my attempt to trace the ontological foundation of fear, I took aback to what consciousness is and the progression of consciousness, uh, perception, impression, and idea, borrowing the copy principles of, of, of uh, David Hume. Um, the empiricist. So now, and I said, if fear is consciousness as such, it means that it is it signals us about something that will happen. It also prepares us ahead of time. So, if it is a consciousness that acts in that regard, its negativity or positivity depends on the reaction of the, the subject person because there is a necessary connection between the, the subject of fear, which is the human person, the object of fear, that which is perceives, and fear factors, that which, which, has, which the human person sees. So, so if you look at it this way, you, you understand that in the past, people have been mixing fear with other emotion in the human person. So and I said, if we give, if we understand our fears, instead of running away from our fear, it will make us, it will help us to evolve better as a species. So looking at it from this point of view, what now becomes the best fear management system. Overall, all in human history, they have been talking about F3. That when you are confronted by uh, object of fear or fear factor, you either freeze, flight, or um, fight of, uh, of freeze. So, but they didn't talk about fearless. No. When you talk, when in defining fearless, you talk about, uh, like Fisher will say, fearlessness. And, and most people don't understand that there, there is a demarcation between cowardice and, and uh, being courageous and all that. So in the face of, your, of fear, you need to first of all understand and know how to manage it. So we've been working 
on peer management, under peer management education, developing peer management system, not just for the human person as a microcosm, but the, the universe at, at large as a macrocosm. So um, dividing it both for organizational peer management system, uh, and political peer management system and all that, trying to get and make sense uh, of it, especially the, the world we find ourselves where the politics of fear sells better and politicians and most people and most leaders use this fear mongering instead of fact mongering to govern and to control their followers. I'll stop there. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. All right. Now, uh, we are beginning to come down more into reality now, uh, which is the, the thing that the people see, you know, I think why people run away from philosophy sometimes is because there is a lot of thinking that you need to do, a lot of digging, a lot of reading, and a lot of uh, calculation in the abstract terms, you no? Know? Instead of maybe how much is a cup of rice today? We all know that. Uh, what is the, the price of, what is the difference between the price of a bag of rice yesterday and today? Because people see that every day. But of course, there are other elements that actually control these things, which is uh, some of which you are just touching now. Okay, now let's look at the politics, Africa, the reality today. Uh, is there a way that fear could have been uh, a tool that is used to keep Africa the way it is today? Looking at the global political setup. <laughs> Behi, uh, I don't like talking about politics, but let me just try to... I'll say it the way it is. Um, the politics of Africa is not a consequence of African immediate um, happening. You know, when you study, uh, when you look at definition of reality in the perspective of Thomas Aquinas and even um, um aristotle when he said definition when you want to understand or define a thing you you understand it from four causes but africans tend to shy away from their first cause uh, because i would like to use a language that people will understand their first cause and this first cause happens to be the basis of their history. And when you, when you try in an immediate time to tell people about their history, they will say you are trying to cause problems. They see you as a threat. All these people that want to cause, disrupt this, this critical, something that happened back in the past, you want to bring it up now. Why are you bringing it up now? Eh? We're living in peace. Now you see the place of fear there. Now, going back to history, you realize that before the Berlin Conference, before partitioning Africa, those who did that had something in mind. And I cannot really say their intention, but I would say that it, hasn't been, it has not been a, a blessing, but a cause to the Africa continent. The partitioning at the Berlin Conference and what happened after Second World War that led to British and uh, France taking over Cameroon from the, the from Germany is also something that we need to look at carefully. When you look at it carefully. You will see why selective aid and selective attention is also becoming part of the global politics. Practical example, I'm not saying that what is happening in uh, Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine is good. But something more than that has been happening in Africa. Practical example, look at not, uh, Northern and Southern Kaduna. You come to the East. Look at uh, um, what is happening with um, IPOP and the military. 
and look at what is also happening. Uh, look at what happened during the civil war in Nigeria. It was a genocide. But the attention the world is giving to Ukraine, they didn't even do that here. So this idea of kill and divide is a systemic fear culture that was developed to cage the African people. They make policies that affect the African people. Unless Africa rise on this occasion, unless Africa realizes it, that they can be, and others can also, will also be. I mean, um, you see how strong EU is? Look at AU, look at AU. They can't rise on the question of anything. Africa doesn't have a currency. No African currency is as strong as uh, those of uh, um, um, Europe and America. None. And they are making policies. Terrorism had never been, was not part of African development or African history. It's something that was a, is a product of a borrowed religion. It's a shift in the mind of certain persons. But now that it's now being practiced in Africa, who supplied this terrorist group uh, weapon? How do they get those weapons? And as a result, then I say, close your border so that the terrorists will not come. And Nigeria will not apply for visa to go to uh, uh, South Africa. But an American and someone from Europe walks in freely. So for these are the, so you look at it, you say, it is the immediate problem. No, it's not an immediate problem. It, we have underlying factors. Something that is scaring these people to close their, to shut down their border against their brothers. So you can talk about uh, the former uh, causes and the fear factors. You know, you look at them critically, which um, I might not be able to um, talk about here now for some reasons, but not to me. So we, but for, as Africans, we need to come back to unscript, descripted about Africa and to look at it, our elders, they might not be able to do that because it will affect those in power when we start unscripting, descripted about Africa. So, and if you fight the existing system, you will be in trouble. The best way is to build a better system that will make this existing system obsolete. And that's why you see analog leaders in the digital age controlling the affairs of Africa. And I want to remind you, if you don't know, that 60% of the world's youngest population are in Africa, and the 70% of the population are residing in sub-Saharan Africa. How prepared are the youth when the button of leadership will come to Africa? Most Americans. Uh, young Americans, they are interested in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and uh, uh, YouTubing, and all that. Average youth is not interested in sitting that to make critical thinking analysis and predict the future as such. So we are shedding, sh we are chasing shadows instead of uh, solving frictions, existential frictions that will help us to become better as SPC. So when I talk to someone, I send someone an email or, or I travel to the United States, I meet someone. I have experienced that on LinkedIn, I was talking to one man, we booked appointment. He said he won't talk to me because I'm a black. So it was a shock. And I reported the account and I reported the man. So you reach out to someone, you say you are, you, um, you are a Yahoo person. They, they, see, you, they see many um people from Africa, especially Nigeria and Ghana, as internet fraudsters. Who told you that they are? Is it that they don't have uh, uh, Russians, uh, Americans, and all that who are into internet frauds? Why must you now make uh, this uh, uh, an issue uh, or something that is peculiar? 
I'm not saying it's good. Anyways, these are part of the things that I've been going to university, reaching out to people to preach against. Why? Because you cannot abandon your papers as a person and pursue something that has nothing to do with your papers. So there's, there are a lot of things, uh, Obehi, um, just try and, and begin to get angry with the whole system and the whole process. And we need to, yes, I'm beginning to get angry with the whole system and process. And we need to come down and do this. There are a lot of things that we need to do as Africans. There are a lot of things. We need to change the narrative. Uh, please, nobody should donate to the government. I've been saying it. Why are you donating to the government? You are donating to the government and there's no reason. Check out how much that the uh, gates um, um, donated to Nigeria to fight malaria and all those things and polio, and it wasn't used. Look at, stop, stop, support idea, monitor the process. We are not hungry. Africans, we are not hungry. I, I always tell people, if you want to make programs for Africa, don't post pictures of hungry people, people that are suffering. Americans are also, many people are suffering, just that they have a better system, a better society. Most Americans don't have up to 1,000 USD in their accounts, but they have a viable system. That's just the difference. So stop posting Africans, posting pictures of people who are hungry, people who are begging, people with tongue clothes. No. The highest form of poverty, like I said, you look at my, uh, our organizational website, is not material poverty, but poverty of the mind. If you eradicate poverty of the mind, people can stand on their own to think the world is evolving in the in, in the age better in the age of individually prepared growth, uh, which is uh, the basis of social entrepreneurship. So when people tell me all these things, I say, please don't insult Africa. Let us reason together and see a way of finding a meeting point as a human person from different uh, continent and uh, society. All right, fine. Let's look for a way to find solution to our problem. I understand, I understand that perfectly. That is very interesting. And that is why uh, the conversation around your industry, your company, we're going to take time to really look into it because I find it very, very interesting. I'm going to ask you something relating to history, why we are afraid of our history. But before we get there, I'm going to ask you something relating to uh, what you said, relate, um, talking about Ukraine and uh, maybe other conflicts in Africa and how they are projected in the world. This is something a lot of uh, African and African diaspora are complaining about. But my question now is, is it really the... The Western media, by this, let's say, uh, Fox News or CNN or BBC, to report the predicament of what is happening inside Nigeria, inside Congo, inside a uh, 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 community in Cameroon, in South Africa, or it is the duty of the African people. Let me make the question better. Obey, I understood we... your question. Okay, please go. Very clearly. Obehe, you see, one thing that we don't know and we failed to understand is when you don't have... Okay, let me put it this way. When someone manages your information, he or she controls you. When someone determines the information about you, which is correct, or that is correct, the person controls you. Look at what is happening on Wikipedia. You go there, I have I, told people, it is right time that Africans start editing what is on Wikipedia. We have the assets, we are capable, we can do that. Sign up, go there. When they say something that is wrong about you, you correct it. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Look at their, how they wrote about some figures on Wikipedia you see a lot of misinformation. When you say something that affects you as a person, they flag it down. We don't have our own platform. And unfortunately, if you develop something that is better of uh, uh, Facebook, 
your brothers will prefer to use Facebook than yours. So why complain? Uh, do you want to tell me that uh, uh, you don't, uh, um, that uh, Nigerian media or Cameroon media or look African media don't report what is happening in Africa? That is uh, uh, fallacious. Okay. Your media doesn't even have a farage. You don't even, where you are in Italy now, you, you don't know what is happening in Africa. You rely on what you get from BBC and CNN as the real information. And when you look at it, it's a misinformation. A practical example, if, if, um, if one million people die now, they will report it is about uh, 100 persons that die. But when the issue of rush, people started uh, complaining. It was just only 100 persons though. When I say only, don't, uh, you know what these um, bloggers, they will say, so so and so person say, oh, because only they will bold it and italicize. You don't you have value on it. During the Isu Beach Line boundary crisis, from my place that started since 2018, I've been complaining. At some point, it was flagged down on YouTube. I did, uh, uh, I did something, a clip about it. It was flagged down. How many persons died? I mean, two communities were burned down and over um, uh, um, three community, uh, three villages entirely displaced. I lost so many members of the families and no one talked about that. It is the problem of selective AIDS. And when you look at here, they have uh, they have plugged in something that is dividing us. Do you understand? So you can't really you can't really blame it on local media. We have good sound journalists in Nigeria. We have good media persons. But how far is the system? They won't even allow your system to go far. But Africans should have a viable channel, a viable, I mean, um, African leaders should learn how to give a, some sort of tax waiver for their own to grow. And why this is a problem is, why it is problematic is because, okay, for you to grow systems, for you to make, have a viable society, and for you to have the emergence of, uh, um, social entrepreneurs, people that identify problems and profess solution and work out the solution. You need to, we need to revive the idea of property rights. We need to revive it. And we need to build education system that not only graduate job seekers, but job creators. I mean, inventors and innovators. It's only these things it's only this thing that we guarantee the project of Africa persons. When these people have problems, they go back. They go back to, to, their, to universities to look up for student projects. But yeah, we don't believe in the projects that people are doing. We don't believe on anything. So how can you not blame effects? Without looking at causes, these people will not report it the way it is. They will report it the way that it will favor them. Have you forgotten what happened during World War II? They were killing the the British, and they were and the British media was reporting that that they are making advances. They are making advances. This same thing is happening here now. If you, if you look at critically, you will see that there might be a lot of misinformation in the process. You don't allow people to fight war in your territory, bring war into your territory. We need to be rational. I mean, the money the world has spent in this Ukraine and Russia crisis, if they invest it, uh, invest it on peace, it will be better. If they had find a, a platform to negotiate the way they are seeking negotiation, it would have been better. I mean, if we call ourselves rational beings, we can do better. We can do better than what we are doing now. 
you know, writing Africa up in all aspects of life, calling our science pseudoscience, forgetting that every invention and innovation had point of departure, calling all calling our religious fetish and uh, um, all that is embarrassing. Embarrassing. You will never see. You will never see um, Indian movie or American movie or anything where they are acting a pastor, casting out demons or burning down things. But in Nigeria, you will see Nollywood talking about um, uh, seeing, portraying the native doctors or the herbalists when they don't even know the differences as um, evil, but it is the problem of uh, alienation and empiricism and all that. So we need to look at it, my brother Obehe. This is disheartening and it pains. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, dear Carlo. If I, I put down religion uh, somewhere, because when we were doing the initial explanation, I knew that we were going to get to that point and I put it down because just like uh, every other tool, religion is a tool and it's a very powerful one that we probably haven't yet understood. I mean, the average African, the average Nigerian haven't understood it. What is the proof? The proof is in the, is in the pudding. You know, when you eat it, you know what is, whether it is good or not. And to know whether it is good or not, just look around you. Uh, we have become lost as a people. So uh, we act like children. We shoot ourselves in the foot. <laughs> it's unfortunate. But anyway, now the system we understand has failed us. There is no doubt about that. And this is because there is too much resources in Africa. Africa is too attractive. And uh, for that reason, we cannot expect the same system that has failed us to correct it. It is not going to happen. Uh, by that, I mean we cannot expect the Western media to say anything good about African culture. If that culture is going to lead, if say that is going to lead to the liberation of the African mind, because that is actually where the, the war is taking place in the mind of the African people. So, since the system, the institution that we have is not helping us, can we have an alternative so that the people can start investing in themselves and start doing it for themselves? Because what I, I want us to pay attention to is that the global population following the industrial revolution has actually been, uh, uh, I don't want to say mismanaged, but they have been turned into a mini machine, taking attention away from them. But by evolution, by our continuous growth, we understand that we are turning back to where we were before. Because up until recently, you go to school, it, it was not your duty to, to create jobs. All you needed to do is to finish, is to learn the, the theory that you have been told in the school. Then the industry was ready to employ you, but that is how it was set up. But currently now, thanks to internet, people are realizing that, ah, they can actually create jobs for themselves. And this is taking the world to a development of a staggering proportion. But that means for the country that have invested in their people, letting them have the minimal infrastructure to compete. So if we try to base on that, for example, looking at your industry, looking at your company, when you are talking of the fourth industrial revolution, I don't even know if we have even done the first, the, the, the third in Africa. I can believe that there is hope. There is hope. So how can we as a people, the individual without rely so much on the institution, find a solution to our problem. In this case, looking at Africa. Do you see any hope in those areas? Yes, Abeye, thank you so very much. And uh, aware of, sorry for taking you a little bit back. Uh, we missed out from the industrial revolution. I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm saying during the industrial revolution, we missed out, we are nowhere to be found. But record, civilization started 
in Africa. So, but we missed out not because um, of anything, but because of the lack of system. Okay, let me go straight to your question and answer it. You talked about African not uh, uh, being in third industrial revolution and all that. Fourth industrial revolution, most people linked it up to industry 4.0. And most countries no longer talk about fourth industrial revolution, they're talking about fifth industrial revolution, which is the age of uh, AG, uh, I, artificial general intelligence. But when you come to Africa, my brother, you know very well that our politicians and their political parties still have in their cardinal plans and principles industrialization as a manifesto in the twin, at the twin light of the 21st century. Someone will come for a campaign and say, I will, I will dualize. I will work road, I will give electricity. And you are not even ashamed of mentioning electricity as what you can do as a politician. And you are saying, my brother, if I travel home now, I still drink from three. Now, I see that I have to take uh, buckets, go to the street, walk miles, fetch water, come home. So, so you look at all these things and you laugh, but we cannot depend on the governments to change the narratives because the narrative favors them. So no one wants to leave the convert zone. They want to benefit. They want to, because for them, it is a kind of a heritage. Buhari was the president when, in 1984, and he started contesting again in 1999. They have been on this till he later became the president of Nigeria. Go to Uganda, go to other places, it's still like that. They are all the presidents in Nigeria, to, in, all the presidents in Africa today that have been on the political scene since mm -hmm. up initio, since they were, they have been there. Mm -hmm. So people depending on you, there is no amount of paper that you will write that will change it. There is no amount of intellectual podcast that we do. The most important thing is pragmatizing what we say. That is why TFDS is there to change the narrative. Oh, what, do you, what can you do to change the narrative? Come, you know, you know, give us the playbook. Can you do it? Let's do it. Let's start doing it. We apply the Ubuntu philosophy, I and thou relationship. I have the skills. Can you, can you edit it? Can you do this? Can you set up the software? Can you do this? Let's go. Let's change it. Let's do. Let's make it happen. How many high schools in Africa can you locate through the website? Can you contact the principal of your school and tell your principal to send you your your certificates to it? TFGS, you want to be donating building sites for high school. Now people can from any from any part of the world reach out to their principal. Do you understand what I mean? Reach out to their principal when you have something, when you want anything, you get it from there. We want to set it up. Set it up from there. You are teaching the student social media management, web maintenance, and all that. So we can't wait and waste. We must start doing something. And the best way 
is systemic education. Taking these teachings, reducing it. We are, we are developing future studies as a course and we'll make it available for all schools in Africa. If we start from ABC to university level, everyone must understand where the world is going. And our teachings must not be borrowed. It will be tech enculturation. We pick your signals to solve your problem. We ask you, what do you think is the greatest problem, challenges you are having? We ask the small child. The small child will tell us, how do you think that you can uh, solve that? They tell us, we pick it and translate the idea. Everyone, I mean, everyone has foresight. You can't deny that. So if we make foresight in perspective, we look at the point of convergence and look at the ethical reference because everyone is angry. You cannot talk about technology without talking about emotion and technology. And through that, from that point of view, you talk about the ethical usage and application of science and technology. So it will help people to invent what is it, what are ethical reference and reference are not something that will be disruptive and that we need to take dystopia and all that. We don't want that. We want to teach the people, we want to teach, we want to make Africa better from the grassroots level. If you go to Silicon Valley or in many other parts of the Western world, they are trying to initiate idea. They think of something and they bring it to, to fruition. True, of course, try and error in most of the cases because you do not know what is going to happen, but you have an idea. But by putting it into practice, you continue to refine it. Sometimes you get less or sometimes you get more than what you expect. But why is it that in Africa, most of the cases, we need to copy other people instead of developing our own model based on our own system, based on our own situation, based on, based on our own idea, our like and dislike based on our evolution, where we are coming from. And this is also important if we are talking of also the fourth industrial revolution, technology, building, resolving our problem. Can you help me with that? Both from the point of view of philosophy and also from a normal rational human being? What we manifest is a product of our collective consciousness. You know, when I was talking about poverty of the mind, um, I don't know if you made sense of that statement, material poverty and poverty of the mind. Uh -huh. So now, the question should have be, why is it that Africans always produce leaders who are not, let's say, in the class, already to compete like or do better like other leaders across the world? The answer is because they always have, they always, they're always the headquarter of poverty and they have the highest number of out of school children and um, illiteracy level and literacy level, the illiteracy level transcends the literacy level. But that, I mean, a society where only 30% understands the right thing to do to change the narrative, but 70% of these people that don't understand will try to make sense of it but they are still living at the survivor stage. So they need money to eat so that they will not die or have ulcer. And as a result, they prefer to eat first and survive so as to progress in error than to starve. And they have a change of narrative. That's from the practical point of view. 
So, but if I may say, you understand that most people, most individuals, even in our companies, they make more money. They feel that they make more money when they import things than they let you do those things. Forgetting that, picking from your signal solves two problems, provide the solution and solve the, the friction of unemployment. People, you skill up people, you improve skill sets, you create employment opportunity, and you still get the results. My brother, Kuda, one of the best banks in uh, Nigeria, is being developed by uh, people. Yeah, flutter waves. The same thing that's worth millions uh, of dollars, or even currently billion plus, was developed here. And uh, Paystack, the same thing. How many persons are using these things? We have leaders here that don't question what they seem what they think is not uh, important. They should question, why is it that Amazon is blocking uh, people to receive money? You know, you can't receive money directly. You have to open a, a what they call it, um, an account outside for you to receive books. The Kindle publisher is not favorable for so many uh, Africans. Uh, paper, the same thing. You receive money. Look at the argument, but you can't put it in your local accounts. So there are a lot of things. And we don't have systems to change those uh, narratives. So the, the idea of borrowing, you see that also in the life of leaders, for leaders that love borrowing without feasible results. So it is, it is becoming genetic, but what an hereditary. So what we need to do is to bring, a, get an opium, which is education, and take it to the foundational level, just as when Christianity and Islam came, they started what they call Sunday school. So they impart those. So we now take, we now take information. Eh? We take future study, we take all this information that we disambiguate the mind of these people and tell them what is happening in their society and what they will face when they graduate or when they when they reach the age of 10. So it's we it we it will do something in their cogito, I mean in their brain, you know, you disambiguate it, then you plant this uh, precious seed of information that we help them to understand reality better. If not, these people will keep on transplanting it. You know, there is this common adage in Africa. This is not how we do it here. This is not how it has been done. <laughs> so this is how we have been doing it. But you have been doing it this way. I still remain stagnant. So answering your question directly won't give us the thing we need. We need to look at it from all angles, punch all the necessary places and see how to avail solution. Because like you said, we are the face of a availing solution and not just uh, talking it out. So there are a lot that we need to do there. This has really been a very interesting conversation. I must, I must say that again. Um, Oshinakachi has uh, taught us a lot of things in philosophy, um, system uh it's just a little bit on entrepreneurship but we are going there in detail on another episode so i want to thank you so much uh for your time i really do appreciate uh the conversation and the contribution here thank you so much if you enjoy this podcast make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes rate and review overhead podcast and share with your friends who might need it i remain overhead everyone for 
Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.